Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Are you interested in mindfulness and meditation in the metaverse? Well, on today's podcast, I have Niana Reeves. She is the co-founder of Trip. Uh, CEO and the category leading global XR wellness company pioneering innovative and accessibility technologies that empower people to take control of their mental and emotional well-being. Nania brings over 15 years of experience in digital distribution, video game technologies, and mobile application development prior to co-founding Trip. She was the president and COO of TextPlus, COO of Machinima, and chief strategy officer of Gaikai. She was also the senior vice president and CEO of Global Online at EA. Through her leadership at these previous companies, she has facilitated over 1.6 billion in exits. So, without any delay, I'd like to welcome her to the show. Hey, hey Dylan. Thank you so uh, much for coming on. And I should have um, uh, let you know it's pronounced Nanea. It's a Hawaiian, the Hawaiian word for peacefulness and serenity. So. <sighs> Ah, uh, <laughs> Nanea, Nanea. Well, I will surrender to this moment and say thank you. Thank you. You're for welcome. That. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, um, uh, you know, recently very deeply connected to my Hawaiian ancestry. I've been feeling it strong, so it's Nanea. nice to hear my name. Nanea, 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 Nanea is beautiful. I actually got um, had a a awe-inspiring incredible uh experience i had uh last summer i went to uh kona the big island for the first time ever mm -hmm. i got to go to the top of the mountain to, uh the keck observatory was oh yeah during a new moon and oh, i got to amazing. look up at the stars and like this i have it literally on my desktop here to my right and to the, the photo of that. And it's that sense of awe and wonder that is mm -hmm. really, you don't really think, at least for myself, I don't really think of like awe inspiring mountain views in Hawaii, which is something mm -hmm. that was just such a mind blowing yeah, experience. And you were, the big Island has so much amazing energy from all the new earth created from the active volcano. And, uh, it, when you're up on those, um, uh, mountains there you can actually see the milky way it's so clear and beautiful i have wonderful memories as a kid there oh what island did you grow up on we grew up on oahu but we spent our summers on the big island and also Kauai. a lot of hawaiians like to go during the month of august to Kauai because it's cooler and mm. my family is very big in hawaii the reeves family is one of the largest there so it's um uh kind of interesting to you know i was always kind of interested in tech and yeah science and there wasn't a lot of opportunity as a young person in those fields in hawaii and you know i have some family members trying to change that now to support the hawaiian kids with more opportunity outside of the hospitality industry because tech has given me a great life but what's happening now is uh the Hawaiians are being displaced by the increased property values. And even just a lot of my tech friends who have gone to spend the pandemic in Hawaii, they're not realizing that 
that pushes the Hawaiian people out of their own homes. And, mm. you know, so it's kind of thinking of those ripple effects and um, how do you support an indigenous population that really can't go anywhere uh, without losing their sense of home and Hawaii is home to Hawaiians. So it's an interesting dilemma that we have going on right now. The challenge with the Paradise Island, I mean, you only have so much space, right? You can only go, you you know, inwards or upwards or towards the mountainscape, but the, but there's only so much space for people to really call home. Yeah, and the way that the property is priced and taxed, it's not uh, native friendly. So uh, it's, you know, I think in general, helping people just be more mindfully aware of the mm -hmm. impact of, oh, I'm going to spend four months of the pandemic in Hawaii because I can, but they don't realize like what kind of ripple effect even that yeah. seemingly benign decision can have on a native population. So it's, you know, just thinking about not to make it political, but this whole idea of just thinking of our impact on the world around us is really what drove me a lot to creating trip because i could see how my mindfulness practice allowed me to see where i was not always being so awesome in the mm. moment which can be painful too do you know but we do as individuals have huge impact and then collectively even greater obviously yeah, it, it's hard, in the, especially in the society that we have of go, 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 produce, 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 do, 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 to stop and reflect. We don't realize that we actually do lose a piece of ourselves and a piece of our own power right. by in that constant, you know, where we go at 100 miles an hour and we throw it the entire time, that 190, 80 and all that fun stuff. And so, yeah, yeah making that time and space to reflect really is, um, uh, it's, it's a benefit to yourself and to the people around you. Well, and that, that is, I think, the um, transition that a lot of people will go through with a regular, consistent mindfulness practice, because we'll often initially pro approach it from the standpoint of wellness. How do, how do I become more calm? How do I become uh, more focused? And so we're in, entirely kind of focused on the benefits to how it will impact us. And what happens though, when you have that muscle start to develop where you can be aware of your thought stream or mm -hmm. aware of your behavior and how it's impacting others around you, that transition can actually be very painful. You know, that shift of seeing how the world's impacting you to how you're impacting the world. And, uh, and even just the awareness of sometimes my own thought stream is so negative and uh, not kind to myself. And of course, if I'm operating that way internally, it's easy for me to shift into expressing that externally to the mm -hmm. world around me. So it's thinking about those ripple effects that uh, I found the concept of how do we use technology to help support people into that transition because once you have self-awareness, you're making more conscious decisions as a, a business leader, as a partner, as a parent. You know, you can pause when agitated. Think about, you know, how will this person in front of me receive what I'm about to say? 
And even if it's truthful, they might not be in the place where they can hear that, do you know? And so having that sensitivity, that maturity and, and having it come from more places of compassion and kindness, it seems like a noble mission. I've certainly seen the impact of it on my life as being significant, right? It was a, um, a multiplier for me on good and bad. And Mm -hmm. that, uh, I have found has been a really awesome tool to share with my friends, my family, and now ultimately through the work that we're doing at trip. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, mindfulness, I mean, you talk about the, we're constantly co-creating the world around us, right. Right. And and communications and times and the things that we're passing across the way our brains work, right? Like how so can you talk about that? It, you know, our eyes aren't camera lenses. It's not like we're um, receiving the world exactly mm. as it is or receiving reality as it is. Yeah. We, we get the, you know, data coming into our visual um, system and then we're, our brain is reconstructing it. And in mm. the absence of some data, we'll fill in the gaps and we're not mm. always accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, what you're talking about that is that that lens of the storyline is yeah. the what what does this mean to me and how does it affect me? And depending if I'm feeling good and, it, and then it, then it's doing great. If I've had 17 cups of coffee, I haven't worked out or meditated. And the chances are that that stimuli is going to have a a, a different storyline that changes. Right, and if physical health can also impact that as well. So now scientifically, we're starting to understand the connection between mind and body. Mm-hmm. And as you look at the arena of psychedelics and and the research happening there, there are some that are starting to see what they're calling the impact of a perceived mystical experience. So in many ways, it's mind, body, and spirit or heart. that system being very well integrated, uh, I think is a new shift in the world. Um, Obviously different philosophies and maybe even religious practices have had more of a waiting than uh, our sort of scientific medical community has, but now they're starting to understand that you can't separate the mind from the body Uh, It can create, you know, a mind out of balance can create physical illness, starting with inflammation, stress levels, and it can work the other way as well, where depressed states can come from different physical conditions. And what is the spiritual malady that we sometimes uh, might feel as a society, a lack of connection, um, not feeling connected to any kind of real sense of community? or even stewardship, you know, purpose, mission, those kind of things that give us a a sense of um, alignment with the forces, you know, and not to get woo-woo about it. I'll go deep down the woo-woo train if this is where we're going to go. No, but (laughs) I I actually, you know, am really push against sort of my woo-woo genes, Mm -hmm. right? But what i do know is that there is a sense of connection and flow that i can feel at times and my life seems to work really well even under super challenging experiences like when my husband was diagnosed with cancer and how we navigated that and then his 
his uh, subsequent passing and how, you know, using the community that swelled up around us to support us. And there, there were so many beautiful moments in that, that, you know, my meditation practice actually helped me be present for it, as opposed to being in a constant state of overwhelm and consumption from the grief, right, that was starting to percolate. And then ultimately, you know, at times you can feel consumed by it. And yeah. so community, my, uh, you know, uh, the ability to self-regulate on emotions, mm. all of these show up for you in these dark, challenging times. Um, but you have to build that muscle with, yeah. with daily work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things you said there that I think are critical to acknowledge. One of them being is the fact that the the negativity that we, we hit, if we allow it, we, we can it can be a pit that we sink into. Yeah. But we can also use it as a springboard to get us to the next area if we're just able to kind of restructure or reframe that storyline and how it affects me and to become cancer. My father just died two years ago from oh, cancer. So sorry. Yeah. It's, it, life. Right. It is life. life. That life. is. Uh, that's where you, when you have that understanding, mm. that aperture to beauty and connection can even appear in those those yeah. uh, uh, moments, right? Well, and there's two pieces of that. The two pieces I was going to say, one um, was the the community coming together and there's this ripple effect, right? Because you're in pain, then everybody comes together. I, what I believe is this, anytime someone comes in and out of the family, whether it's marriage, uh, death, birth everybody gets together and they kind of acknowledge and it ripples to the family as kind of like writing on the blockchain ledger of the family right and saying okay new one in new one out this is what we got going on right and we <laughs> when we we get together right and we we feel that right we share the yeah, memories we share the, the bond yeah you feel that bond right you laugh you share what the memories you have and you feel that connection amongst themselves that's one piece of it i think is the, is the the process the other one is the is the the restructuring the story I, initially i was my father was a beautiful wonderful man he was a hippie my parents are hippies they yeah, played in bands since since they're like 17 18 yeah. <laughs> yeah great decades of playing in bands together mm -hmm. right um and i was sad when he left and he left because he smoked too many cigarettes all that jazz and i had so much pain in my heart from the situation and i was angry at him for leaving but then when i when i restructured it and reframed it in the sense that it was more of a it was his final lesson to teach me if you do not master your habits your habits will then take you away from the people that depend on you the most and that restructuring allowed me to process and add meaning to the pain, which then ultimately added purpose. And then when when you can add purpose and meaning behind pain, you no longer have suffering in the pain. You now have purpose. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. And you also stepped into his generation, mm -hmm. right, which is an evolution <laughs> of your own journey as a man. Yeah. yeah. Well, pa passing the baton. Okay. Yeah, here's here's the torch. Powerful. It's a powerful thing. Um, I think like, yeah, it's powerful. Um, I'll, I can tell you my example with that, Please. which is, um, you know, we, my husband had a nonprofit in Tibet. We spent a lot of years traveling there and our meditation practice really evolved with each trip. And in that last we were in his meditation room and he was very clear about what he needed to have happen because of his belief system mm -hmm. at the moment of his death and we had worked with hospice to allow us to keep him for four days so that there were specific prayers and 
uh, that were to occur for to help him with this transition. And mm. at that moment, we were all surrounding him. His daughter was there with me and some very dear close friends with us. And he was in his meditation room and I could we were looking at each other and I could see that this was his last breath. Like when that mo when you're with someone in that moment and you see it and this emotion started to come up in me of panic and grasping. And I was able to consciously choose in that moment to hold that at bay and, and say to myself very quickly, you will have so much time for that. This moment, you need to let him know that you are going to be okay, that he is deeply loved, that he made a difference in all of your lives. So he can leave with that information that you are going to be okay and that do not show him you in despair as yeah. his last image here. And as a result, we were able to connect in the most deeply personal connected moment in our entire relationship, like a hundred times more connected than we were that first moment when we said, I do, which I would have said that that was the most connected we had ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would have missed that moment if I had not been able to have that decision framework in place to pause and not turn, let that feeling that was so strong consume me. I would have actually missed that moment. And that let me know that this is powerful, right? That this yeah. creates better lives for not only the individual, but for everyone around them. And I can tell you everyone else who was in that room with us, they were transformed by that moment, not because of my, you know, largesse or anything, but because it was a different way to support someone in that moment than the usual, don't leave me clutching, sobbing, which would have been totally appropriate for that moment, but something else was allowed. I was able to create the space for another experience to uh, um, appear. That's beautiful. I think, thank you for sharing that. I, I can feel that. And the, if it's what it sounds like to me is that you were able to, in a way, transcend your own pain mm -hmm. to form a deeper connection, mm -hmm. to yeah. really be able to, to get to a place that you couldn't have gotten unless you were really able to love someone so deeply and support them in a way to to um, find a new level of connection that is unattainable in any other way. And it helped me so much afterwards in my grief, which was yeah. vast. And I was able to reach out and get support for it because it was beyond my ability to manage. It was so great. And asking for professional help from yeah. mental health professionals, not an easy thing for me to do. As an entrepreneur, I've always got my game face on mm. with the employees, with the people in my life who count on me, with my investors. And, you know, here I was unable to just even get out of bed. And so it was with that support, though, I could see how do I rebuild my life? Yeah. Or how do I build a new life for myself? Yeah. On this foundation, knowing I was deeply loved, 
I had had a great career in the video game industry. And mm -hmm. I knew that if I had an idea that I wanted to bring to the world, that it would be supported at least by the investment community that I could get it up and running. And that I also had confidence in my ability to execute on ideas because I had been doing that for a while. And so you never really know how all of one's life experiences will come together. A hundred percent. And that, and you can look, you know, it's like connecting the dots backwards. You can't connect them forward in that, in that statement. And knowing that part of it is, I mean, when you're joined as one and then one parts ways, you have to, you have this other piece of you that's looking to find, okay, what's, what's the next mountain? What's the next chapter? And that, and it's beautiful that you're able to transcend and move from one chapter to the next with the support of the people around you. Actually, a friend of mine, uh, uh, who you, you've worked for, I've had him on the podcast, Dave Perry. Yeah. Oh, I love Dave. Yeah, he's a, he's... I, well, Dave is how I got invest, uh, uh, interested in VR because we were working at Gaikai, a cloud yeah. gaming company. And some of the team at Gaikai after Gaikai was acquired by Sony PlayStation mm -hmm. to be part of the streaming subscription offering that they have now it's called playstation now and some people went to sony and some people went to go start off oculus uh, with palmer and i made a little investment i'm kicking myself still i should have put <laughs> in a lot more <laughs> and as a result i had access yeah. to early devices and um was really excited about vr and the concept of overlaying new realities on top of the reality you're experiencing wow yeah i mean you were definitely in it before because i was one of the original backers on kickstarter when the headset came I, out. i remember that that yeah. was before the guy kai team though came in i believe oh was it in terms yeah because palmer had started the kickstarter and then brendan and uh, the Gaikai team, I think there were like six people from Gaikai that went to go work and Brendan became CEO, Brendan and Ruby. Wow. He was an awesome guy. And yeah. Dave was a wonderful man to work for. I just saw him recently at the Games Beat Summit and he's, uh, he's so enthusiastic about technology and video games and business. And we had a lot of fun working together. Yeah, he's he's a beautiful man. I saw him at the Games Beat Conference as well, and it's where me and you connected. Yeah, and you know, and I've I've seen him several times. He, he walks around with a camera, and he likes to take photos of people. Yeah, he's a did. great photographer. Well, he's like, I just want people to see how beautiful and how powerful and how great they can be. He's just he's just a a beautiful soul. He's a towering giant of a man. But did he, he tell you his story of how he got into technology when he was on your podcast? Um, was it him writing code from the newspaper thingy when he kind yeah, of like, kind of like kind of... he was very determined and focused even as a young person in Ireland and I I'm a little biased too because he's married <laughs> to a Hawaiian woman who I love. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out yeah <laughs> oh, no I love it I love it so let, let's we'll, we're gonna stick to this so you were with the chief strategist and we'll talk about him and I want to kind of segue into kind of the trip and everything but yeah, how, sure. did, how did you as a chief strategist working for him what did that look like and how did that aid you um going into trip I can't yeah I well my career I've worked as um 
product manager. Mm -hmm. I was a terrible middleware and front end coder for, you know, learning the nuts and bolts on how things work and like to figure out how things work. I always found out I was very good at getting people to do things and to do the right things that I think is, uh, that was Mm. where I found how to structure what was good about me and business was taking strategy that the business needed and translating that into a product offering that could be built that people would want and ultimately the business would benefit from and Mm. why. And oftentimes there's a lot of resistance to new ideas in, in companies in even, you know, startup pitching (laughs) venture investors. uh, And uh, so, you know, being able to articulate your concepts, well, that will get support. I also found was something I was fairly good at from the beginning and the, uh, um, so running technology, running product, running operations, being a COO, I went into Gaikai as chief strategy officer to help them with help Dave and team with their go to market Mm -hmm. strategy. Uh, They had this awesome game streaming technology, but what do you do with it? They had an idea of instant demos through web browsers that, it was mind blowing. You could see crisis. I think it was crisis three at the time streaming down to a very low end, less than a hundred dollar Android tablet. And I, my head exploded and you could play it. And there was the imperceptible latency. It was very revolutionary and thinking about, um, how do you make that an offering that can scale? And so that's what I came in to help them with, uh, initially. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, I, I can see the the transition then from from that to Trip as a as a service as a SaaS model service and bringing wellness into the space. I think you're one of the first SaaS services that I've seen from Oculus, and especially approved. Yeah, well, there was a few few things that we did, and now we're more B two B focused, mm-hmm. and I can kind of talk through that. But we started off enterprise. There were a few reasons why. Mm-hmm. One was it took us a while to build all of the identity, uh, the e-commerce, the entitlement Mm -hmm. management, the subscription logic. So while we were doing that, we wanted to find users. So we started selling into corporations as an employee wellness offering. And our first customer was a huge beverage company, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest. And we got like this big contract. And then we got some very big, customers right after that. And that at least was giving me feedback from a, you know, what is considered to be a hard sales channel, corporate wellness, that people were excited about the innovation of approaching mindfulness with employee wellness and using technology and next gen devices to facilitate that. So that at least gave me the feedback I needed to, uh, um, start to evolve the offering. And then as we brought more people into our team, we started to learn what was working and what wasn't, but we needed more scale. And so I went to the Oculus team and said, you know, I'd love to be uh, a meditation product on your platform on the quest. And they said, well, the quest is mostly for games and 
initially there was some pushback on it and we um uh when mike verdu was there who i knew from electronic arts he just loved what i had shared with him and he said let's put it on there and try it and so we were one of the first non-game type of wellness applications mm -hmm. on the quest there had been other ones on the go before us but the quest was really the audience scale that we needed to harden the offering and I think as a builder and an entrepreneur, if there are other people listening in your audience on that, it really is important just to get something up and running in any kind of form, like we did with you know wellness devices going into companies and we set up these carts where you could take a mindful break and you know it, it, the devices we had to learn how to manage them remotely i mean we solved a lot of problems during that um, yeah. cycle and now we can apply it much uh more broadly so it's it's cumulative yeah. learning and you really have to kind of get out of the analysis paralysis that can happen and just get real people telling you hey you were completely wrong about this idea yeah this is how I actually need trip to happen. <laughs> and, yeah. well, and that's, are the best people to do that with. They do not hold back. Yes. They, you don't, you do not want to mess with the gamers fun. They will tell you exactly what's going on and why. Great. And, and yeah. we're talking about something very important here. And I think one of the challenges that a lot of people face in the space as an entrepreneur, as anybody who's in the area is this market truth over ego, right? This, this wanting to get this thing out the door and not be perfect but be able to get that feedback yeah. to the point where you can start to cycle through. And that's why the importance of getting that thing out there. So how could you tell me any, any specific stories or examples that yeah. you had when you were faced across, across that truth? Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of um, uh, investment people, even people within our company telling us that we needed to stick with enterprise and just do one thing. But I didn't feel that we had enough usage to really inform that decision. And so that was one thing I had to trust my gut on this. And I had enough success in the previous years to know that one thing, my instincts are good. And, you know, when we started working in mobile gaming, everybody would say, no one, no one wants to play a game on their cell phone. All people want to do is talk, <laughs> right? Well, we were definitely wrong about that. Yeah. And I, we heard a lot of similar things in e-commerce. No one will ever buy anything they can't try on or hold in their hands. Maybe a book, but not shoes or anything like that. And it, we heard also, why would anyone want to watch someone else play a video game? That's never going to happen. And so all these things, you just have to know that people are hardwired to resist change. Mm -hmm. and new ideas. Um, so having some instincts on where to lean into really important. And so one of the other, I can tell you some of the mistakes we made though, that were really interesting. Sure. Let's we, get into it. Uh, we thought let's build everything procedurally and then we'll evolve AI to generate the experiences for you. And so you put in the headset, we have some kind of profile on you, you tell us how you feel, and we generate the experience for you. That was our original mission. 
And we launched the foundation for that. And our experiences are created procedurally. And what we found, though, was people would say, well, I know you did the research to say that female voices are more calming and relaxing, but I want to be able to choose a male voice sometimes. I don't always want to hear a female voice. And or I want to be able to turn off the voice and just be in the experience. And I want to, I know that you did the research and seven minutes is the optimal comfort time in VR, but I would like to stay in 20 minutes. And sometimes I would like to even stay in 40 minutes. And so what we found was it was like a light bulb going up because what the recurring feedback was telling us was that people actually want agency over the experience. They want mm. control. And so I started looking into the research around that, that being able to control your environment in many ways can help you when you're in depressed states and it has a beneficial mm. impact. And I know from my own experience playing video games that during dark, challenging times in my life, escaping into playing video games where I could like, you know, be in control of resource management, configure my loadout, you know what I mean? Like just that whole thing, get mission focused and feel in control, feel like a hero. It uh, had a positive effect on me um, during times where maybe I felt the world was falling apart. We certainly saw that in the pandemic. And so that was the biggest surprise to me. And it has now influenced a whole design upgrade where we allow people to really customize more of the experience and we're going to get even more granular with that over time. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually recently, uh, two podcasts ago, I had Dr. Spiegel, um, from Cedar side night on the podcast. Oh yeah. Brennan's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah with, with a great chat. And one of the things that we were rapping about was, um, from his book, he talked about, you know, your application called, you know, precision medicine, mm -hmm. which allows people to go in and he, you know, and go in and go, I want to feel energized. I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel this. And this was a bit of what he was talking about trip. And one of the reasons why I liked it so much, and then having these custom photos, being able to go through the experience and be able to feel Oh, that's it. the best part of the experience for me. Yeah. You can feel it. Right. And that, but that's what he's talking. He says, he thinks that that is the future of where we're going here is yeah. almost like a, um, uh, uh, if you were a doctor and you were in the old call this, the metaverse of some sort of, um, pharmacy is that they can get prescribed specific use cases and the person goes, Oh, I want this. And then they pull that off the shelf and they give that to them as their digital therapeutic. And then they go through the experience and go through and process it. And that's the yeah. first sign I've seen on your product. We want to make the people feel that they can support themselves. Do you know, mm -hmm. because that is, that will start to have a ripple effect in how they go. And it doesn't replace, seeking professional help. I had to at a very uh, needy time for me. And maybe I felt some shame and embarrassment ab around that. But now I'm so grateful that the conversation around addressing our mental health is more, we're all more open about it and communicative about it. The stigma is lessening. It's not fully solved yet but my hope is that one day we stop calling it mental health and we just call it health that the integration 
is um, more recognized. And, you know, I do think the metaverse can be a powerful tool. I'll tell you something that's also been an interesting observation and something I've been calling, uh, for lack of a better term, the digital fail of the metaverse. We acquired in January the Evolver community, which is mm -hmm. the largest mindfulness group in the metaverse in virtual worlds and they do now they're doing about 40 group meditations a week wow. so it's very active they have been doing it for a long time they will sometimes have hundreds of people show up regularly and one of their most popular discussions is a group on death and dying and they have a death doula facilitating you would think this is going to be the least popular subject to attend. And, uh, you know, let's talk about puppies and cats and kittens, right? You know, mm. to generate happiness. But really what I have observed in those groups is people opening up, especially men, around very difficult emotions that appear during watching someone you love transition or go through terminal illness dealing with your own diagnosis and what that brings up with regret or fear and having the abstraction of an avatar mm -hmm. in a virtual space to express emotion and feelings that maybe you might not feel comfortable doing so in the presence of humans and maybe fear of being judged or appearing weak and these um i think this is a very interesting use of metaverse and wo worlds and support communities that i want to further investigate how they can support even more targeted things because i was very surprised by what was happening in that community and it was a wonderful peanut butter and chocolate type of moment for me and Jeremy Nickel to get together. A lot of their audience was our audience. So it just made sense to join forces. And it's kind of the bookend of take care of yourself and then share it with community. You know, mm -hmm. get that sense of giving and receiving support and giving support based on, you know, being able, like you said, to reframe those challenging life experiences and help someone who's currently going through it in the midst of it can be extremely powerful and give you a sense of purpose that can oftentimes be very surprising. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it seems that because in our day-to-day -day operations and things like that, there's a lot of things for guys. We really get we're allowed, um, could be self-allowed, the two emotions, good and pissed. That's about their that's about the range of the male emotion that's generally generally find to be accepted. How are you? I'm good or I'm angry. That's about the that's about the range. And when that's you all happens, you're allowed. That's that's all they're allowed. It's all you know, we whether it's our own self-allowed or what we think other people will allow it, because people generally you want to be this pillar to to hold up things around you. And if you're you anything besides that. Yep. In, in those two spaces, you don't have any other room. But the thing is, we're humans. We actually, we really do feel. I know guys don't want to admit it, but we got feelings. And and when you, someone dies, and you have this, you have this hole inside of you. That you have this thing, this grieving yeah. thing that you're not allowed to. That those that those seeds of trauma that get planted inside you can sprout into disease and dysfunction over time. 
And if we don't get a chance to actually really be mindful of that, and we don't have a space to express that and heal with the community, it will eat us up and it will take over the garden of our mind. And so it's one of those things that we want to be mindful of. Yes. And, you know, men are under attack right now in many ways. And some of it, um, you know, is an impetus to self-reflection and looking at certain behaviors that, you know, the current world doesn't really need or support, you know. And so how do we help people find courage and strength? and resilience through these this transition that's happening i love gamers mm -hmm. they have given me a great life that's why i wanted to get live on a consumer platform mm -hmm. a gaming platform the quest and playstation the feedback we got it made our company better but was most moving to me as an entrepreneur was during the pandemic when men would email us and say, you don't know how much Trip is helping me right now. We had one young man who is a PlayStation user in Chicago, and he was very much affected by what was happening in his community of uh, African-Americans around the BLM time period uh, of expression. and and how he was trying to navigate those emotions. And he stumbled across Trip on the PlayStation VR and the impact it had on helping him, it meant more to me than anything I've ever done in my work life. And he actually reached out to me and said, I just wanna talk to you and I, I wanna understand how you created this. And it was so wonderful to connect with him because I started to see the impact of what this could be in that interaction. And, and I also realized it's important to help men uh, on these platforms, give tools for them to feel comfortable navigating anger, navigating fear in a container. VR is a wonderful container to give you that ecosystem to connect to self, to connect to others like they're doing in Evolver. We have some great session leaders in Evolver. And I was also really moved by the fact that we had a lot of veterans using our product. And that uh, um, you know, definitely means a lot to me. I have a lot of military uh, in my family in Hawaii. It's one of the ways that Hawaiian people who you know, can sometimes be impoverished, they can get an education through being of service to um, the country. Yeah, and with that comes its own trauma. And then if you, in, in the situation in order to, to do that duty comes with a lot of additional trauma. And then afterwards, what do you do with it? How do you handle it? How do you process it? And I know that's that's um, a lot of um, things that can come up. And uh, I know Skip Rizzo, we both know Skip had him yeah, on the podcast. Well. Yeah, does a lot of work in that space as well. But that's the thing we're talking about, creating space. We talked about, being on the island of, of, of Hawaii is the fact that when people come in, they can get pushed out, right? There's only so much space on there. And so with that, then there's there's an issue. One of the things about being in this digital virtual space, metaverse, virtual world, whatever you want to call it, is the fact that there's enough space for everybody to be able to go and connect and create so community. Can we talk about how stupid it is to create these scarcity models, like land that is limited in the metaverse? Mm. I, I just think 
it is very short-sighted to mm -hmm. kind of take the concepts that we've built here that are somewhat imbalanced and not from a good healthy place and just try to recreate them digitally do you know well and you're talking about this from the the web three the uh crypto side of things because when the whole you know metaverse thing came out there's the virtual multiplayer world kind of things and there's this the web three decentralized economy system they kind of are fighting over the land space of this word that we don't really have a clear definition and so yeah. in terms of creating value on the on that on this crypto side of things uh, i know you recently came out with something uh you know it's at the games conference but mm -hmm. how do you how do you look at that whole side of the crypto side uh, economy side of things i know we're talking about land and scarcity but that's where it comes from things like sandbox yeah like it's it's some of it but mm. you know even on the web 2 side you can see a tendency toward marketplaces thinking of the citizens of the metaverse as only consumers mm. and we saw that in the very early days of the internet in the dot-com everything was a pet store or a shoe store or a this store it, there was no concept of applications and doing things that you can do uh through the internet that you can't do in real life other than order things, right? <laughs> so it, there's a little bit of that happening around the metaverse, whether it's a marketplace in your video game or it's um, a marketplace that's decentralized. And, and so, and then of course you see some bad actors leveraging those ecosystems that are not as regulated with mm multi-level marketing we saw that in the early days of the internet as well yeah. fraud etc and a, a downturn occurred in 2000 because of that it just wasn't creating enough value yeah. for you know that was uh proportionate to the investment that had been made in it and it all came down and we're kind of seeing that happen now but new approaches started to emerge and we have what we have now which is primarily driven a lot by these new ad models that were facilitated so what i would say to the creators in this metaverse ecosystem which is a it's not a this is the web 3 part this is the web mm -hmm. 2 eventually we'll see more of a confluence just like we will on the device profiles it, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. Sure. But I would say let's try to imagine experiences that can enhance the human experience, mm -hmm. not just recreate the shitty things we built. Or can I say that on your podcast? Let's give a fair game, please. <laughs> the yeah. crappy, things, sorry. crappy things, but I really wanted to put a put, pin in that. That uh, uh, we should be thinking outside the box. So, give you an example. Yeah. Land scarcity. Or let's just talk about avatars. Why do they have to have fixed gender? Why can't yeah, that be more fluid? Why do I only have two hands in the metaverse? I could have six and play musical instruments that don't exist in the physical world that are digital, that can have AI looping, you know, built into a hand I can spawn off. Like these are the concepts that we can enable with technology that, uh, uh, just we have to think outside of simulation 
and think about enhancement, stimulation, um, new ways to co-create. So the beauty of blockchain, I think, is rights management and how that can revolutionize music publishing. Getting, mm. we have seen, we have a very real example of how artists for the very first time were able to make a living through NFTs at a scale that they've never been able to do. Supporting artists is a good thing. And uh, so we can look at some of these new interfaces to transform industries that might not have um, been as efficient or as friendly to the creators as they need to be because of all the brokering that happens in between. You know, yeah. all the merchant uh, uh, third party you know, insertions that we've built. Blockchain can disrupt a lot of that and maybe it creates new earning models that are driving different kinds of behavioral changes as well, which those are the kind of concepts I think are exciting. Yeah, it's not it's not just taking the 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 old model and bringing it into a new space and, and applying the it yeah. seems like it's a very blunt approach when you could be nuanced and subtle. So instead of just, you know, yeah. buy a pizza in the metaverse, it's it's more of like, you know, co-creating these types of experiences, which can be a more advanced, subtle type of way of actually yeah. coexisting. I don't think anybody thought that being able to play a video game on a cell phone, which download an app. Uh, and have it be data enabled would evolve into getting a car on demand or allowing me when I need to earn money in a pinch to jump in and with my car and sign up and pick up people, right? Still like, one of my I, favorite apps. Still one of my best. I, I think that's one of my most favorite. Come pick me up and take me somewhere. Thank you so much. Thank you. So yeah. So the, that kind of innovation, I'm so excited about what's going to happen in the metaverse as mm. a result of that. Now, going back to the device thing. Yeah. The industry is so focused on this is VR and this and its field of view and this is AR and its field of view and this is mobile. You know, when we started making games at Jammed Out Mobile, and that was in 2000, I think we actually started the company in 1999, and mm -hmm. we got a million dollars from Sprint to start the company. There was a time, the only, there were no games except for Snake embedded on the phone. People yeah. barely texted. That was something that happened in Europe because of the cost of roaming data roaming fees to make cell phone calls. And we started experimenting um, with this. But at that time, I had a flip phone, and I had a Nokia, and I had a Game Boy, and I had an MP3 player. I think it was an iPod uh, or something similar. I had a Canon camera. I remember exactly yeah. that. I would carry all this stuff around with me. I had a Texas Instruments scientific calculator. And now that has all merged into what I call my phone. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that everything we will see something in the next five to 10 years that I just reach for and I call my glasses. And it will have all, the ability to go into full immersion as well as data enabled overlays or spatial audio 
supports that can assist me and maybe even haptics that can direct me uh, or instruct me for certain things. And I think that, you know, you think about dynamic vision correction on some of the lenses that we've seen some patents on and the um, ability to uh, just grab my glasses and have that be something that we deal with. I think we're looking at it very sort of narrowly when we're just making it about the tech and thinking of it only by the hardware. It's, yeah. it's really the transition from, we moved from the desk to the hand or the keyboard mm -hmm. to the hand, and now we're moving from the hand to the head. And there will be hybrids, but yeah. we're walking around staring at a small screen. We have, uh, this has now become a, um, it's a computing interface that's with us all the time. So there's going to be a new version of that that will be changing the way we see the world around us. And our goal is to also be part of helping you change the way you see yourself in the world. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, one of the things I've I think as you had as a tag was like, like a like a, a fitness for the mind or the gym for the mind or something yeah, like that. For yeah, for your inner self. Yeah. Yeah, for your inner self, which I thought was a beautiful. But now thing. we're moving to transform you and transform the world because what we're doing on the oh. Niantic Lightship platform, which we're yeah. gonna share a demo in about, I mean, it's a very is small that, portion of the experience at their new uh summit soon oh okay and are you so, gonna be at the awe conference is that uh we'll be at the awe conference but yeah. niantic is having a lightship summit for oh. their new platform and it is a developer conference it's their first one and they're uh we're working with their visual positioning system to yeah. place objects um, that are a reflection of your self-care so the way it's going to work is you do the mindful activity mm -hmm. and then it unlocks the, uh, uh, gives you a gift and the camera opens up. And when you're at a location like a park and you meditate there, you can leave your gift to the space and it grows and it glows over time. Oh, that's cool. And you'll also see everyone else's gifts and a location can level up based on how many mindful activities um, appear at that space and it can unlock new portals new content and the content can be audio reactive as well and you can engage with it and uh, so it's a really cool thing we're super excited about it because it's using vr to ar it'll stand alone in mobile AR. So uh -huh. you can do the mindful activity on the trip mobile app, which is free to download. And, and, and it'll open up this AR experience. And then uh, we'll launch that toward the end of the year. And we're going to demo it next week though. I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome. I, yeah. um, yeah, I had uh, a couple of weeks ago. I had uh, Yeni Solheim um, on the podcast from. I don't um, know who that is. She's the head of social impact um, for Niantic. Oh, um, oh, great! I'll make sure yeah. I I yeah. meet her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. To, I mean, I'm happy what to they're you. doing is amazing. It, you know, because they're really thinking about this real world metaverse overlay, mm -hmm. and 
our concept is to use that to get people to connect to their community and the um, their physical environment in a way that is uh, giving them a sense of connection and also contribution through taking care of themselves. So I think it's a cool idea. It might be super dorky. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's one of those things we're going to need to get people playing with it. But you could see how it'll also yeah. work with mixed reality mm -hmm. devices as well. And so there'll be ways to transform your personal spaces um, that we'll reveal a bit in the future. But I like this idea of a community coming together and collectively changing the way a place looks and mm -hmm. that digital objects have kind of their own energy. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's really great. That's why I think uh, the Yeni, she, I know she originally, they were doing Niantic Pokemon before and she wanted to do social impact. She wanted to do some sort of impact. And so she yeah. led the charge on that front. Over oh, the, kind of, I'm sure that. I've met her there yeah. then. I'm just yeah. not putting the face uh, to the, I'll, it was I'll, overwhelming, I'll, but I can tell you John Hankey and his team, yeah. they're some of the nicest people I've met. And yeah the uh um technology space and i really do feel there's such a dystopian narrative emerging around metaverse and, yes. and what's happening and you know we know that negative headlines will get more clicks but there's also a very positive uh, uh group of people and different entities focusing on how to create really awesome spaces. And that's why we wanted to do the NFT with the Luminance team. Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful idea. They created this fractal mandala. They call it a chrysanthemum and they're procedurally generated. Yeah. And they have unique sound that trip. That's the part we contributed to uh, David Starfire is our head of music and so talented. And, and then, they have it so you can connect it to a heart rate monitor and it produces this beautiful sound frequency to your heartbeat and the whole experience adapts to your own heart. So it's almost like experiencing your heart uh, as a, an external entity that you can meditate with. And I just thought this is a cool idea. It's worth supporting. And, and plus I wanted to learn how to bring an NFT to market. So that's our approach. We want to help other creators who are working on cool ideas like the Luminance team. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I saw that at the GamesBeat conference. I actually covered yeah. it. On, I, did a, I did a TikTok on it and covered it. I was like, dude, oh, you should cool. check out what CO Trip's doing. This is really neat. Because um, it's the first biofeedback NFT yeah. thing that I've seen. It's I was not like, just us. It's a collaboration with uh, Luminance and and uh, we're excited about that because I also think that's a concept that we can bring into the metaverse, which is mm -hmm. how do people co-create yeah. things together? This kind of idea of co-op mode. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It, it. it is geeky and dork, but at the same point, it's like, I think we need more of that. There's this, this it's cool to be down. It's cool to be like, oh man, that's not gonna work. See, I told you. It's so easy to okay. cast stones. Yeah. It's so it's easy. So it's okay when things don't work either. Yeah. It is success and failure are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Oftentimes the failure gets locked in. It's like selling stock when it's the lowest point in the market. Mm -hmm. 
That's when you want to buy. <laughs> yeah, I know because it flips. Yeah. It flips easy. It does flip if you just kind of hang in there. I mean, and things evolve and turn into new ideas too. Mm. You just never know where it will lead you. I, I like to. There's so many examples I have to encourage myself when I do feel exhausted and I want to give up. Slack was a game. Yeah. It, it, it was the messaging solution that a game team used and they realized it was cooler than their game and they were able to pivot and Botox. Yeah, I live in LA, so I know a lot yeah. about Botox, but Botox was originally to help uh, lazy eye. And, oh, really? And when they started testing it, they went, Oh, the wrinkles are going away. Maybe we can make, that's a bigger market. And there's a funny story too about Viagra. It was originally created to help angina patients mm -hmm. with uh, a chest condition, and you know they noticed other things happening in the testing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, I'm not going to give testing the pill back. Testing is important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold on to them. I got I got a lot of angina going. I can't get back right now. Sorry. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So okay, innovation. So, yeah. Well, let's speak of innovation here. So we're talking about this, this light ship thing, this, this, um, mm -hmm. you know, Pokemon go style for good, this collaborative spacing, which was on the light ship, which sounds incredible. So what you're putting all these pieces together, what for you is your Holy grail? Like what's your bit, what's the flag in the sand? What do you hope to achieve by, by doing all of this? Well, I am a gamer at heart, so I mm -hmm. do like winning. Mm -hmm. And what is the concept of success at this stage in my life is focused around impact and scale is a byproduct of being able to have real impact. So being the category leader in mindfulness in this new technology transition is something very motivating to me. It kind of gets that gamer chick in me. You know, thinking about like, how do we get there and how do we win? But winning also means bringing other people along and facilitating and helping. And I love these ideas of creator economies. Mm -hmm. And I love community, online communities. They can be horrifying to some. <laughs> and one of the things I love about the Evolver community is how safe I feel in that community mm. because they have the right tools in place on these platforms to help moderate and manage community to create safe spaces. And so for me, what I really do want is the ability to have presence in as many forms as possible so that we can um, help people get the tools and the support that they need. The other thing is that um, uh, being able to create systems and a platform where other people can come in and create their own transformative experiences mm -hmm. or get access to a community and an audience that will benefit from their work. That's very exciting to me. So I think you'll see Trip evolve to that. I can see someone is asking, um, about mm. VR, AR for old people, people that are not able to move. One of the early decisions we made was mm. using gaze as a controller. In fact, we're going to bring that back. We've had, we took it away and a lot of people have asked for it. 
And it did help people with mobility issues being able to do um, use eye tracking or head mm. tracking as a way to navigate. We found that the elderly people who have used our product have been our most loyal audience. So it's really helping. Uh, I don't think our experience is that intimidating, mm. you know, from an interaction standpoint. And once you get people over that intimidation factor, I think it's really important for people as they're starting to age to feel relevant, to feel exposed to new things and new ideas. And we see like them just get so excited. Some of my favorite customers have been people who have been using trip to navigate health challenges, et cetera. They find it very calming, relaxing. Mm. We did add recline mode to support people who were bedridden and that was something we're one of the few apps i think that do that oh that's very cool that, that and it's an awesome thing so you know thank you um for for answering that question as they as they, as they sneak in here people pop in the questions they no can i like it in. and it, i would also recommend mind vr has mm -hmm. uh been out in the senior community and done good things and they're available right now on the HTC Flow device, mm. which is very comfortable for people to get in and out of. And uh, I think, you know, thinking about that as it relates to the elderly, I don't want them to feel uh, that they're not um, able to use these these devices and technology. We see when they when they get onboarded to them, they're they're the ones that we look at, uh, we see on our system. It's so fun. If you want to see, if you want to go YouTube, old people react to VR. It is one of the cutest, sweetest, wonderfulest things. And yeah, so and you know, I think the tendency is to not really look at people as they age as, I don't, I mean, they've had a whole journey. They have walked before us. They have seen a lot of life that we yeah. have yet to see or I'm getting there right now, but it's a, um, it's really important that we honor our, yeah. our elderly. And, you know, I'm part Asian as well as being Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian, Chinese, and Irish and Welsh. And uh, uh, the way the Asian culture honors their elderly, I think we can learn from a little bit. Yeah, and that's the, the that cultural piece, right? That bringing people together, not just go off in the city, live inside a box, and just have these people, but actually have people be a part of a real community where you have cultural norms, you have respect, you have traditions, you have oh, yeah. you have creations, right? You're talking about you're talking about before about this um, wanting to create this creator economy, places where people can kind of build their own transformational experiences and facilitate yeah. and connect with each other. And then that's kind of where you want to get to. Um, I am, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to uh, Carlos here in a second, but uh, my one question for you before we get to that is yeah. what is the dragon for you? If, if the Holy grail is to really kind of make this um, virtual metaverse, whatever you use, whatever you want to put in it, uh, kind of creator economy where people kind of create their own transformative experiences. What is the dragon that is standing in front of you to make that Holy Grail happen? I'm not going to talk about it just yet, but I will uh, in a few weeks. So. Okay. 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 Yeah. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. All right. We will, I will defer to later for that one. I'll take the teaser. <laughs> All right. Well then we'll, we're going to go to uh, Carlos here. Yeah. It seems that old people more and more are getting cut off from the rest mm. of the world. 
much to the understanding technology, not understanding technology. So it would be nice to bring them along the ride in some way or another. I think VR could help with loneliness and absolutely. I, very early on when I had a VR device, I think I had a Samsung Gear. Do you remember the very early experience? It was a 360 video where you were in a Maasai village in Africa and you mm -hmm. could go into the hut. Yep. So I shared that with one of my aunties in Hawaii who has never left the islands. And wow. there was one part in that experience where she, there was a woman, an old African woman in the hut mm -hmm. and she just looks right in the camera. It's very powerful. And my auntie had this connection in that it just blew her mind. She took it off. She was sobbing. And it was in that moment I, I realized the VR is one of the most powerful things. And this was very early days, phones sliding, right? I mean, already we've advanced light years beyond that, and it's only going to get better and better. But we were at the Amer uh, Americana uh, very early on in Trip Cycle doing mm -hmm. some demos for a corporate event. It was corporate sponsored. We were being paid to do a trip lounge and there was this man, Phil Decker, who had tried our product and he said, I'm in cancer remission. This has is amazing. I want to buy it. He insisted on taking the device. He worked at Southwest. He was going <laughs> to share it with the CEO, get it on the plants. I mean, this whole thing. And his cancer returned. And so we configured his account. It was right when we were starting to build the account creation. And we had enabled this feature where you can upload pictures of yourself into the VR um, mm -hmm. experience. Now it's in our focus strip. And we went on Phil's Facebook page and uploaded images of him when he was young and healthy before his illness. And he used that product all the way up until the end of his life. And I think the ability to have him hold space with his life journey in VR in a way that was supportive and contemplative, it it was um, one of those mo things I'm most proud of. I remember saying to our team, we were very small at the time, Michael. there was only six or seven of us at the time. And I said, if all we do with this and we never raise another dollar as a company and we never get live, uh, you know, because we were working towards the Quest launch. This was on the Oculus Go. We share it with him. And I said, we can all be proud of that we were able to help Phil. Wow. Yeah. That's the thing that 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 impact. I mean, you, I mean, that's that's yeah. one deep impact, right? It's and everything, then, right? Yeah. yeah and then the, the scale is and being able to scale that magnifies that depth, both depth and breadth. Oh, and he helped us so much because his encouragement and uh, even when we were being told in the face of a lot of investor meetings, this is never going to work. I had, um, uh, you know, a lot of people telling me you don't have product market fit. You're not this too small of a market. No one's ever going to want to do this. This is just for gamers, blah, blah, blah. And Phil's feedback, you know, let let us know that what we were doing was important and meaningful and that, you know, there were so many other people thinking about using tech like this, the Luminance team, there are other great companies out there. I love Sarah Hill from Helium. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she is uh, a wonderful founder. And 
I love Aaron Ghani from Behavior and or Behavior, Behavior, whatever they yeah. call themselves. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's an uh, upstanding person, and I think that this is, um, you know, th there is community happening. That's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> everyone's trying to. Everyone's trying to, or the the certain people are trying to push this in the right direction, right? And they're trying to stand up for not just using it for one purpose, but really opening a gateway. And you, what you did is you created an opportunity for someone to actually connect with themselves and see themselves in a better way, transforming them, right? And then be able to- Helping them at a crucial time, right? And, yeah. and, not, and we were learning. Yeah. And so look, we're gonna make mistakes yeah. as a company, as an industry. This is a very intimate, connection to a human being and in the same way that entities just wanted to create new ad models they didn't understand how the algorithms could be gamed etc to actually do harm i don't think that was a lot of the original intention and so i think in our space it is also very important for us to create ethics communities and and have open conversations and share because it is important that we approach this with some, you know, mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. Great, great power, great responsibility yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Nanea, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. This has been. Uh, thank you so sharing so many uh, beautiful and meaningful stories. It was. I mean, I felt it. That was. It was wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about? Thank you for uh, having me here, first of all. Yes, you can reach me. I see some follow-up questions oh. on Twitter. My DMs are open. It's at Nanea, N-A-N-E-A. -A. Uh, or you can email us at support at trip.com. We read all the emails if they come into a central Slack channel the entire company sees. And we will respond. The uh, what we would love to hear is how we can be better. What you want to see from our product, if you're a user, um, what might be missing. Also, if you're a creator, we'd love to have uh, a conversation and see if there's something we can do together. Our new mobile app has wonderful audio and visual content from wonderful creators. And we're just going to keep expanding that mobile, AR, VR, and just create this ecosystem. We're also expanding our live programming in ways that are super cool. We're going to make some announcements around that. So if you have ideas, come come talk to us and we will um, see how we can support you. Beautiful. You heard it here. Any creators out there, please uh, reach out to Trip. Uh, Nanea, thank you so much for your time. Have a blessed and filled day. I, I, I will see you on the other side. All right. Thanks, Stella. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.